0: If there are songs that proclaim the gospel, and everything we've been talking about since, since I've been here, uh, that song is certainly it. That in Christ alone is where our hope is found, in Christ alone is where life is found. In Christ alone we are free from the guilt of sin, in Christ alone we are free from the power of death, in Christ alone. And that is a comforting, comforting, comforting truth. And it is the gospel. And that is what we've been talking about. We've been talking about this gospel, but not just that, this gospel mission of God, how God himself is on a mission to bring that reality to bear in people's lives, to bring this truth to people's homes. The gospel comes in the back door. It comes in the front door. It comes through the roof. It comes everywhere. The gospel message and the reality of God is to come into people's lives. And God has called us as his people, the people who are of the gospel, of people who live in the gospel, of people whose lives are fueled by the gospel. He calls us to bring that mission to people. And he calls us to do it more than just a day we call maybe Thanksgiving. He calls us to do it more than just a season that we call the Advent, which today is the first Sunday of Advent, where we begin to set our minds in a very, I guess, more specific and intentional way to the birth and the coming of God and the flesh and Jesus Christ. But it's more than just a season and more than just a day The gospel mission of God is something he calls us to live into in our lives. To bring to our classrooms, to bring to our friends, to bring to our spouses, to bring to our children. It isn't just for lost people. The gospel is not just an evangelistic message. The gospel is a message of life that gives us life. Because it reminds us of the reality that it is in Christ alone that we have hope. And it is in Christ alone that we are found. And we can be made who we really are. Adopted children of God changing every day for the glory of God, looking more like the Son of God because we are changed by the power of God. And that is who we're called to be. And so this is more than just a Sunday thing. This is a life thing. And today what we're going to do is we're going to center this entire gathering around this final gospel practice. And it's something I just call the gospel practice of communion. And I know that as a church family, this is something we do every Sunday. For the first four centuries of the Christian church, century one to century four, it is historically seen and historically shown that the church took communion every first day of the week. They practiced the Lord's Supper every Sunday and 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 for those of us who might not have grown up in an experience or maybe you were you were never grown up in a church and you came to faith and this has been your first and only church family experience or maybe you were, had tasted a part of the church and you're sort of de-churched meaning you 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 went to church you didn't like it and you realized we were all messed up and that was offensive because sometimes we we're offensive and so that chased you away and so now you're kind of giving it a shot again you know it's the holidays or you're just kind of here maybe you stepped in maybe God said you know pressed in your heart and you're here and so maybe uh you you don't know really much about communion and so today hopefully will be a time where you experience what communion really is supposed to be about and understand what it's about And if you have taken communion all your life, maybe you've taken it every Sunday, maybe for you communion has become sort of an habitual ritual, something you just kind of do every Sunday. I mean, the bread is incredibly small, Uh, the the, the fruit of the vine, the the cup, I mean, we couldn't find a tinier cup to celebrate something that's supposed to be so precious to us. And we all did. I mean, I grew up in tiny, tiny pieces of bread, and I grew up with tiny, tiny cups, And so for some of us, it just becomes poorly tasting bread and grape juice. But today, my hope is that this becomes more than a weekly observance for you. You may observe it, taste it, smell it, feel it, touch it, hear about it on Sunday, every Sunday. And it may be a tiny piece of bread, and it may be a tiny cup of grape juice. But my prayer is at the end of this gathering it can be so much more for you because I do believe that Christ gave it to us so that it not just get us through a day and not just remind us of who we are in a day, but it remind us of who we are every day so that it begins to form us and shape us every day because of what it proclaims. And so that is my prayer. And so we're going to center this place and center our hearts. We're going to celebrate and proclaim and remember communion. Before we get into our conversation, let's pray. Father, we are so grateful. We're so grateful for who you are, for what you have done, and it is, no, oh, it is seen in no greater place than the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus our Lord. Father, we are thankful that you are here with us. <coughs> we invite you to stay. We ask you to stay. We need you to stay here with us. Commune with your people here. Commune with your people all across the world who gather in your name today. Father, would you open our eyes that we may see what you'd want us to see today? Would you open our ears that we would hear what you intend for us to hear today? Would you open our minds that we would understand and think clearly the things that you are going to lay on our hearts today? And would you open up our hearts that we might feel the invitation extended to us Through this gathering, through these prayers, through this music, through communion, through the message of your word, in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. 1 Corinthians 6, we'll just get to work. Do you not know that the unjust will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, male prostitutes, homosexuals, thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers, will inherit God's kingdom. That is a text that is not pleasant to read. It is not pleasant to preach. It might even feel a bit uncomfortable for some of us here. The context in the Corinthian church is that They had almost lost their way, in a sense. At this particular point in the letter, Christians were suing other Christians. And Paul is thinking, well, that's the way the world operates. And at this point, there is this adultery in the church, and this one man is is having a a relationship, an inappropriate relationship, sexually immoral relationship, with his his dad's uh, wife, who's not necessarily his mother. And they live in this city called Corinth, which is where... Uh, some incredibly sinful and atrocious things happen in public uh, where there is uh, naked gymnastics in public uh, in front of the temple. There are these games. There's this way of life. This is just the world in which we live and this church lives. And we sometimes think, you know, the, the world is bad. But the reality of it is the world of Corinth was pretty bad too. And these were people who in this culture had found themselves themselves almost losing their way and losing their grip on the gospel. Becoming a bit judgmental towards one another, fighting over who was the better Christian... You know, I was baptized by Paul. I was baptized by Cephas or Peter. I was baptized by Apollos. I'm a more superior Christian than you. So you had sort of this classism uh, developing in the church. You had this, um, well, I, I can speak in tongues and you can only, you know, heal people. And I'm better than you because I can speak all these great languages and, and he can interpret. And so you had these, these, this jockeying for position in the kingdom of God and in this church. And so Paul very abruptly in the middle of a discourse, says, have you forgotten? That those who promote injustice, those who seek this unfairness will not inherit God's kingdom, don't be deceived. Don't look around and think that just because people might be good on occasion or might do good things, don't be deceived that no sexual immoral people, no idolaters, no one who was put, when we think of idolatry in our culture, we think of probably uh fashioned images of idols or gold or silver and we sort of track towards these these statues and and that is not just idolatry idolatry is putting anything on the throne idolatry is giving anything our affection and worth idolatry can be religion idolatry can be our spouses idolatry can be our jobs this is a heavy heavy reality And he's saying idolaters won't inherit the kingdom of God. Adulterers, male prostitutes, homosexuals, thieves, greedy people, drunkards, uh, verbally abusive people, or some translations say revilers, some translations say liars, swindlers, cheaters. They won't inherit the kingdom of God. As I look at that list... I've been a lot of that. I have. I can see me there. Can you? This is what Paul says. Some of you were like this. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Thank you, Paul, for finishing the sentence. Some of you were like this. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. We were once any one of these things. We were once any one of these things, and maybe even more. But now, because of the gospel of God, we have been washed. We have been sanctified. Sanctified meaning we are in the process by the power of the Spirit of God. We are in the process of being changed more into the likeness of God. We are in the process of being made holy. We were justified. We were, we were set apart before we ever did any good works because of what Christ has done. We were justified. We were set apart and made right with God based on the work of Christ. And we are sanctified, meaning now we're learning what it means to be practically what we are positionally. Positionally, we were set apart and made right because of Christ, justified. And now practically, we are being worked in, we are being worked around through the power of the Spirit of God and the community of God with the Word of God, participating in the mission of God, being made holy and pleasing in the sight of God, demonstrating, putting skin on faith, hope, and love. But we were once, we were once these other things. We are no longer those things. Now, some of us may still be some of these things. And that was the case here. But Paul is trying to think, I think he's trying to make a point. I think he's trying to say, you were once these things, but now you're in Christ. You were once in idolatry and in yourself and in the flesh, but now you're in Christ. You've been washed now. I and mean, he's not saying that the church isn't, isn't filled with some pretty messed up people. He's not saying, oh, you know, none of you are idolaters now. The story of the book of Corinthians tells us otherwise. Oh, none of you are greedy. The story of Corinthians tells us otherwise. No, none of you were verbally abusive, lying, cheating people. Well, the story of Corinthians tells us otherwise. This church was full of these people. But Paul uses a word and says, you were like this. Some of you were once this, but now you're not. And you're not because, not because you've changed. It's because you're in Christ. And Paul is trying to call them to change. I said a couple of weeks ago that at Williamsburg Christian Church, I hope that we can be anything but liars here. And what I meant by that was how you are and who you are and what you are needs to be just that when you're here. And when we're together. You just can't stay there. But you need to be loved there. And you're not ever going to grow from there if you can't come to a place and feel like you're loved right where you are. We've all made some incredibly sinful mistakes. And a people who understand that we have all made those mistakes become a people of compassion towards those who continue to make those mistakes. Why? Because we too continue to sin. And we understand something very important. That it is in Christ alone that no guilt is found. Outside of Christ, we're all guilty. Whether you were an idolater or an adulterer or just a verbally abusive person, sin is sin and we had fallen short and we were guilty. And we were squared up to face the wrath of a holy God who took it upon himself to do what we could never do for ourselves and make us right. Experience and past and the realization of who we were in contrast to the realization of who we are because of Christ, should give birth to a people of compassion. And it should give birth to a people who live and breathe in the reality of the gospel. Not our good works, not good worship, not good times, not a good building, but in the gospel. And if you're here visiting, my deepest prayer. Say, so you can feel that. Because the reality of the cross says, every person here is so messed up that we need a Messiah. We are in the process of trying to be more and not in our own strength, but by the power of the Spirit, and the Word of God, the community and fellowship of the saints, we are seeking a life that follows Jesus. And we're going to stumble, and we're going to fall, and sometimes we're going to kick each other off the path. But we're going to realize who we are because of the gospel. And we're going to get on that path together, and we're going to walk. And we invite any and everyone to come and join us in that walk. Follow Jesus with us. And I'm willing to bet you anything that the more you follow Jesus... The more you get closer to Jesus, the more you will understand the love Jesus has for you. The more you will understand the love of the Holy Father in your life, and the more you will respond to that love in such a way that it will begin to change you. It will change your affections. It will change your priorities. It will change what you once held important because you listen to the one you genuinely love, and you listen to the one who loves you most and knows you best. And no one loves you most and knows you best than Jesus. And if you trust him, not the church, not the church, not me, just a person, an idolater, was once all these things, but Jesus, the more you put your faith in Jesus and allow Jesus Christ to define your faith, and not the church, not your parents, not your experiences, not your circumstances, but Jesus. If you let him in and you follow him, things will look different for you. Why? Because you were washed. You were sanctified. And you were justified, not in the name of Williamsburg Christian Church or some other church, but in the name of Jesus Christ the Lord. And not by your own strength or by the power of your parents or by the power of some preacher or by the power of something else, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. Wow, if we can get this... We really can embrace this. Judgment will not be found in this place. Love will be found in this place. Disobedience will not be found in this place. Obedience will be found in this place. And the gospel will be seen from this place. I want to be this for my wife, for my son, for you, for the city. I want to be this because of who Jesus is. And I know you do too. It's the gospel. Paul, he finishes this letter, the same letter, 1 Corinthians 15. It's almost like he works it all the way out to here. And he says, now brothers, I want to clarify for you I want to clarify for you human people who are just completely acting like you don't understand the God. I want to clarify for you the gospel I proclaim to you. You received it and have taken your stand on it. The gospel is not just an evangelistic message. It is a reality that we stand in and live upon. It is something that we remember always, not, not when we were baptized into Christ, but we remember it always. He says, you've, you've received it and you've taken your stand on it and you're also saved by it if you hold to the message I proclaim to you. What was that message? The gospel, unless you believe to no purpose. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Christ died. He lived. He died. He was buried. He was raised. He was seen. Verse 6, Then he appeared to over 500 brothers at one time most of whom remained to the presence but some who fallen asleep he's saying some of those people that saw jesus are still here some of those people that followed saw jesus are now dead but people saw jesus and then he appeared to james then to all the apostles last of all as to one abnormally born meaning paul saying that i didn't walk with jesus like the other apostles walked he said he also appeared to me for i am the least of the apostles unworthy to be called an apostle Paul had a realization of his own writing in 1 Corinthians 6. He said, I'm the least. I'm the most unworthy. In Timothy, he called himself the chief of sinners. He said, because I persecuted the church of God. I killed people who were Christians because I killed them in the name of God. But verse 10. But by God's grace, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not ineffective. However, I worked more than any of them, yet not I, but God's grace that was with me. Paul says, yet, though I am the most unworthy, and though I am the chief of sinners, though I am the least of all the apostles, because of all that I have done, because of who I am outside of Christ, by God's grace, I am what I am today. By God doing for me what I could never, ever do for myself, I am different. And I love this statement. His grace toward me was not ineffective. See, Paul's life of faith and proclamation of the gospel wasn't out of fear Of going to hell. Paul's faith and proclamation of the gospel wasn't out of a rule list. It wasn't out of do's and don'ts. He did that really, really well when he was a Pharisee. And it was sending him to hell. It wasn't about do's and don'ts. It wasn't about obedience. What motivated Paul's obedience wasn't obedience. What motivated Paul's obedience wasn't guilt. Guilt of a past he had lived. I mean, can you imagine what Paul felt when he went into the church and the church was talking about good brother Stephen? I can't even imagine that. Because Paul was the one who commanded Stephen to be stoned and held his coat while, Christians were, while, while people were stoning Stephen. I can't imagine what Paul thought of when he was sitting in a church gathering and they were talking about the first martyr of the Christian church, good brother Stephen. However, if Paul's stomach must have turned. But yet Paul wasn't motivated by guilt. he was motivated by gospel he was motivated by grace it was a realization an understanding an absolutely non-negotiable gripping that outside of Christ he deserved nothing and even inside Christ In and of himself, he deserves nothing. But because he was in Christ, he received everything. And that changed him more than rules and do's and don'ts and threats and guilt and fear what changed the Apostle Paul and what Paul is trying to say will change the church in Corinth and what I think Scripture is trying to say that will change this church and change the church of God and change the, the way the kingdom of God is seen and looks it will change the city will change the world will change your home your marriage the way you raise your kids it will change everything as if we get one thing we don't have to be incredibly intelligent people to make a change in the world and to make a difference in the world you just got to be gripped by one thing and Paul is saying if you're just gripped by this one thing if you're gripped by the reality of the gospel and what it means that in Christ you are found and you are saved and you trusted his performance and his performance alone you trust in the works he has done not the works you could ever think you could do but because of the work he has done now you are completely free to do the work you were created to do but not for salvation but out of love motivated by grace and thanksgiving and Paul is saying everything changes when you follow Jesus because you're motivated by grace. And grace is exemplified. It is epitomized. It is most beautifully seen in the gospel. That Christ did everything we could never do. And He took on the death we should have died. And He was raised from the dead We could never be. But because he's done all of that, we can too. But because of what he's done, and that changes everything. And Paul says, the grace wasn't ineffective. And so then for us, we we come every Sunday And we take this bread. This bread that represents the body of Jesus. That reminds us of the life Jesus lived. That it was God made flesh. God incarnate. If you've ever heard that word, the incarnation simply means God with skin on. God made flesh. That God came and crashed into our place, into this space, into humanity, and made his living and dwelled among us. That God became Jesus in the flesh. That Jesus was fully God and is fully man. And that bread reminds us of his life. It reminds us of his life because it reminds us of his death. You can't have a death without life. So it's not just he reminds us of his death. It reminds us of his life. It reminds us of what he accomplished that we couldn't. We couldn't live perfectly to the law Jesus did. And it reminds us of that. It reminds us of his death that he took on the punishment. The punishment that was for our peace. Was laid upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. And it's little. That bread. But what the bread represents. And reminds us of. And calls to our hearts. Is eternally huge. And we, we touch that bread. We feel it. We can smell it. We see it. We hear about it. We get to taste it. It captures all of our senses, that bread. Maybe because God wants to capture all of us and what that bread reminds us of. And we take this juice, this cup, this little cup, and it's, it's filled with this grape juice, this fruit of a vine, and it reminds us of, of the blood. The blood that was shed. The blood that cleanses us of sin. The blood that washes us clean. The blood that fulfills the wrath and love of God. The blood that fulfills the requirement of law of God. The blood that was shed. That cleanses us and washes us. That covers us. The blood that we're seen through when God looks at us. That makes us white. Snow, pure and holy in his sight, as Ephesians would say, blameless in his sight, as Ephesians 1 would say. The blood that washes us. And we remember at that moment that we do all of this because Jesus was raised, because it was his resurrection that made that blood effective. Because it was that resurrection that showed that there was nothing that could keep God down. God would not stay dead. And we remember that. And so we read Jesus. We read it in Matthew chapter 26. When Jesus, as we say, instituted This new covenantal meal. It's a covenantal meal because it proclaims a new covenant, a new promise, a new relationship that is binding, that God can hold and make real. Matthew 26, and it was the night that Jesus was betrayed. And it says, as they were eating, Jesus took bread. He blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood that establishes the new covenant. It is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I tell you, from this moment, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine, until that day when I drink it in a new way in my Father's kingdom with you. Jesus said this is the blood of a new covenant. As you take the Lord's Supper, as you take communion, be reminded of who you were, of who you are, be reminded of who you are because of Christ now. And don't just do it today. Do communion today, but don't just remember that today. Tomorrow remember it when you wake up. Remember the bread and remember the juice. Tuesday, when life is hectic and crazy and when you're feeling guilty, remember the bread and the juice and let that bring you back to Jesus and remind you of who you are. Remember that Sunday you tasted and you smelled and you heard and you saw and you felt who you really are in Christ. Right? When your marriage is a little bit shady and shaky, remember who you are. Remember that Sunday... You tasted, and you touched, and you saw who you were and who you are. And remember the power made available to you because of what this supper, this communion proclaims and reminds us of. When you're feeling the weight and the pressures of the world, remember that Sunday you felt the bread and the juice. You felt the body and the blood. When you hear all the negativity throughout the week and you hear all the stress and pressures of the world, remember that Sunday you heard about the bread, the body of Christ. And you heard about the juice, the blood of Jesus. And you know who you are. When you hear the news and you hear all the brokenness in this world and you hear of the, the babies who are struggling to have life, the ones who are diagnosed with cancer, the, those who are sick and who just can't get well, and you see all the brokenness of the world and, and you hear about the mother who killed her own child because she was afraid that her child was going to get sold into slavery and you hear all the tragedy of this cursed and fallen world, remember that Sunday, Sunday, you forget the message, remember that Sunday you heard about this bread. That represented the body of this Savior who is still king and who is going to make all things right completely one day. And he is in the process of making it right even now. And remember that you heard about this this juice, this blood, this blood that can set those people free. Set them free from that death and set them free from that sickness. And may God motivate you to share that mission with other people. When that test is coming, this week and you haven't studied at all and you're wishing you did good luck (laughs) but remember that bread guys remember that that cup that reminds you that your life doesn't have to be defined by that test that through the power of Christ you can get it right And you can do it. When that loved one or that person you love decides to leave, are you looking in the mirror after Thanksgiving and realize you put on a few too many pounds? Seriously? Remember Sunday? How you looked at the bread and how you looked at the juice. And you are reminded that your identity is not found in what other people think. That your identity is found as a beloved, adopted child of the king. Remember that Thursday. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask the band to come up, if you will. And those who are handing out communion, passing out communion this morning, if you'll go ahead and take the trays and and begin to pass them out. I'm going to ask that, church, you will hold on to the bread and that you'll hold on to the juice. Do not take them, if you will. Let's take this together because there's something else communion reminds us of. Communion reminds us that we are not individuals anymore, that we are the community of God, we are the family of God, and we live this life together so as you take this bread and as you take this cup if you'll just hold on to it and then I want to simply read us something and then we'll pray ask God to bless this and ask God to change us allow this time of communion to not only be for remembrance but for your instruction and your salvation see see the accessibility of the bread and juice it requires no money it requires no status It requires only faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and a surrendered heart, mind, strength, and soul to his purpose. May we give God thanks and praise through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The same is true with the body and blood of Jesus Christ. It requires no money. It requires no status. It requires only faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and a surrendered heart, mind, strength, and soul to his purposes. May we give God thanks and praise through Jesus Christ, our Lord. C. See with the eyes of faith the simplicity of the bread. Bread is the most common of foods. Where both the rich and the poor can find sustenance and can satisfy any hunger. Such is true with the sacrificed body of Christ, wounded and given for us. In his body, both the rich and the poor of any gender or race can find sustenance. In his body, both the rich and poor of any gender or race can find satisfaction for their inner hunger for love and joy peace, hope, and purpose. May God receive thanks and praise through Jesus Christ our Lord. See the bread, see the juice. See with the eyes of simplicity the juice, which symbolizes the blood. Blood flows through every area of the human body providing life. Scripture says that life is in the blood. Such is true with the blood of Jesus Christ violently shed and poured out for us. In his blood, both the rich and poor of any gender or race can find eternal life. In his blood, both rich and poor, of any gender or race, can find a meaningful life, filled with God's steadfast love, covered in his limitless grace, and abounding in his unending mercy, may we give God thanks and praise through Jesus Christ, our Lord. In the simplicity of this communion of unleavened bread and grape juice, we remember the body and blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord, Savior, Advocate, and King. In Christ Jesus we believe. Christ Jesus we live, both now and forever. May we give God thanks and praise through Jesus Christ, our Lord. As you see this bread and as you see this, ju- this juice, what appears simple to the human eye reminds us of our salvation. What appears plain reminds us of power. What appears mundane reminds us of mystery. For Scripture has declared, God has chosen the world's foolish things to shame the wise. And God has chosen the world's weak things to shame the strong. God has chosen the world's insignificant and despised things. The things viewed as nothing so he might bring to nothing. The things that are viewed as something so that no one can boast in his presence. In the taking of communion we remember that we have nothing in which we can boast. We boast only in the saving power of Jesus Christ. To which we are reminded in the bread and juice of communion which symbolizes the blood In the body of Christ, we offer our thanks and our praise. So on this day of the week, I say to you, tomorrow and each day that follows, remember our weekly practice of communion. Remember that on this day, you touched, you tasted, you heard, you saw, you smelled the gospel. Let's give thanks.